The National Conference on Ending Homelessness is back this fall, and it's hybrid for the first time. You can join live in Toronto or virtually from the comfort of your own home from November 2nd to the 4th. Come connect with your peers, be inspired by exciting keynote speakers, and discover new innovative solutions to homelessness at CAEH22. Register now at conference.caeh.ca. We'll see you there. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. And thanks to all of you that join us every week to find out uh, the challenges and the successes, uh, the voices of lived experts, people with lived experience, uh, and what they're doing in the area of housing, health, and wellness. And this week will be no different, I guarantee that. But before I get to this week's uh, guest, I should introduce myself. I am Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door, and Blue Door is one partner of two, the other being the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness that puts on this podcast weekly. What's happening at Blue Door? We are really excited right now at Blue Door uh, Passage House, which was built by the region of York. It's a modular build, and it was pretty quick that they put this up in the last 18 months. It's a beautiful building, efficient building. It will provide one-bedroom apartments to 18 men, many of them seniors. Um, it's transitional housing, so it's pretty cool. It's beautiful. It's dignified. It's what they deserve, and Blue Door will be operating that. So that by the time this podcast airs, that should be up and running. 18 new units in New York region is pretty darn cool. And the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, uh, of course, their conference is coming up. Uh, if you haven't registered, I think you could do it last minute. Uh, great speakers there, uh, one of which uh, will be on our show today, be our guest. Uh, but great things happening there too. And if you want to become a Built for Zero community, and I think you should, uh, that is trying to get your community to have kind of functional zero um, where people are not experiencing homelessness or there's enough beds and services for those. I'm simplifying it for, for people experiencing homelessness uh, to get off the streets, right? And there's communities that have done this across Canada and around the world. So become a Built for Zero community. You will not regret it. You'll see drastic reduction in chronic homelessness numbers and number of veterans experiencing homelessness. So check that out. Go to C-A-E-H.ca. I was going to say the www, my kids are like, Dad, you, you don't have to actually put people up. That's the same. So C-A-E-H.ca, check it out. And of course, you can go to bluedoor.ca to find out what's happening. But I want to get to today's guest. We are going to talk about something really, really interesting and, and cool. Uh, she is an expert. She's a researcher. Today, I have with me Sarah Canham, who's an associate professor at the University of Utah. She was hired as a part of a cluster hire. Oh, you know, I just lost my... Sarah is with um, 
There we go. Sorry. If it seems like I'm reading this, it's because I am. And then my uh, my monitor just flickered off, right? Just as I needed it. So Sarah's hired as part of a cluster hire focused on examining resilient places for aging. Sarah holds a joint appointment in the College of Social Work and the College of Architecture and Planning in the Department of City and Metropolitan Planning. She is also the Associate Director of the University's Health Interprofessional Education Program, Dr. Canham's community-based research engages with a broad network of providers, clinicians, and persons with lived experience to examine homelessness, something we've always talked about. Those voices are super important uh, when you talk about anything to do with housing and homelessness, housing security, health, and social service delivery, and aging. Using a social justice lens, Sarah's work seeks solutions to systemic barriers to aging well in various environments. We're going to talk about that today. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today and, and to join you in conversation. Awesome. I said just before we started the show, I was talking to Sarah and I said, don't worry, we never have to have edits. Um, and then I, I went ahead and messed up uh, the bio. But <laughs> the rest of the show is going to flow perfectly. We ask the same question to everyone who comes on the show. And while there's similar themes, it's always a little different because it's very personal to people. And that is, what does home mean to you? Thank you, Michael. And I just want to um, acknowledge that I'm joining today um, from Salt Lake City, which is um, the territories of the Ute, the Paiute, and the Goshute people. So um, I'm privileged to have the um, opportunity to, to live and work here um, when I'm not spending time in, in Canada. So um, for me, home is something, and I, I, I listened to your podcast, so I know that this is a common question you asked folks. And <laughs> I was thinking about this question um, and realizing that I don't have a good definition for myself yet. I think I'm still working on what it means for me. Um, I think a lot about what homeless is. Um, I don't often, um, and for, for, for others, because I'm privileged to have always been housed myself. So, um, so, so I know a lot of people think of community, uh, a lot of people think of um, more than the bricks and the mortar. Um, but for me, I think it's something that I'm I'm still working through just as an individual. Like, what is home? How can we make home um, something where we feel safe, we feel secure? Um, and I really appreciate that so many people have different definitions and different understandings of it. Just the fact that um, the world that we live in is a socially constructed place and and just the same way that homelessness means different things to different people, I think you know we can really appreciate that home does too. So for me, it's um, it's a work in progress. Um, I, you know, I I was down here in the states. I was up in Canada. I'm back in the states. So geography is is something I move between a lot. Um, and and because of that, individuals and families too. So for me, I'm still kind of looking for my home and trying to figure out what it means for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's fair enough, too. Uh, it's funny, you know, I, I thought it was a fairly simple question until uh, a while back uh, it was asked of myself. Like, wow, this is a, it's a tough one, right? It's, it's more of a yeah. feeling. The common theme well, for most people, too, is they never talk about the bricks and mortar part of it. It's really, it's where I end up. It's, it's the safety piece. It's family. It's community, that kind of thing. So, so absolutely. Now, you, you uh, talked a little bit about this. You said you're back and forth from the U.S. to Canada. Um, we touched about what you do. Uh, in your daily life for work. Can you talk to us just a little bit about your journey into this work, into the sector? Thank you, yeah. So I, I started off, um, my background is really in studying older adults. Gerontology is the field that I was trained in. 
um, and I was trained on the East Coast down in, in the States. I, um, I then moved to Vancouver in 2013 and was working in Simon Fraser University where uh, we, they have, were partnered with a good number of agencies in the area. Um, and there was one agency in particular, it's, it's been rebranded now, but, but formerly they were called the Greater Vancouver Shelter Strategy and, and essentially approached the gerontology department that I was situated in and said, you know, we're noticing a, um, an increased rate of uh, older adults who are in our, in our clientele. And you all are gerontologists and can you help us understand this issue uh, really starting with like a needs assessment of what what homelessness might look like for people who are older versus and when we say older we're really talking uh, in the in the sector sorry sorry listeners but as young as 45 but 45 50 um, is kind of the age we're thinking of when we say older in this in this context and so essentially as a community engaged and community-based researcher we started really partnering with those in the Vancouver context who were approaching us and saying hey researchers can you help us understand this issue a bit better and so since that time I've just I'm I'm on this journey with so many people now. And once I think you know this story very well, once you meet more people and once you hear the stories and you hear about the resilience and you hear about um, the the great stories that people have and the the diversity of stories that people have, um, all that are rooted in in really injustices that you can't help but just <laughs> want to keep focusing on this. And so, you know, we always say. Um, you know, hopefully I can uh, get myself out of business uh, by, sol by solving and eradicating homelessness. And so, you know, one day I do hope to, to move my research into something else and, and really just focus. And maybe I'll go back to asking people what home means to them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was really the community that approached us and said, We're, we need help understanding this issue so that we can then um, work towards solutions and advocate for more funding and resources and all the stuff the sector still needs today. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting too, that I mean, you didn't start, you didn't go to school for social work, but it's gerontology angle. And it's mm -hmm. interesting, I fall within that older definition, um, coming up on 50 this year, but quite often mm -hmm. what I think, because we'll get asked, um, and we've seen the fastest growing population experiencing homelessness right now at, at Blue Doors, adult, uh, is senior men. And we mm -hmm. say senior 50 plus, because also people have spent a lot of time on the streets present a lot older. Their health is, is not a, a 50 year old that has been privileged enough to have house in healthcare, but a lot older. And I believe too, the average lifespan of someone who is chronically homeless is about 47, that's what mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, so, it, it, is the, it is 20 to 10 to 20 years younger than uh, the general population age for, for lifespan. So it's it's stark and awful. So we need a lot more resources. We need to be doing a lot more about it too. So thank you, that's that's accurate. So we're, we're, we're talking um, today about uh, older adults who experience homelessness. Can you, and you said, and you started talking a little bit there, you, you uh, referred to uniqueness or, but, but there's unique vulnerabilities of older adults that experience homelessness. Uh, can you talk, how is the experience different and, and what, why should it be a concern? 
So one thing to think about too, or maybe just to keep in mind is that um, the same way that, well, let me just say this. When, when we think about what older adults experiencing homelessness might look like this is a very diverse experience the the what i'll call the heterogeneity or the diversity within the older adult uh, population is is extreme and so what it means and the unique vulnerabilities are going to be very individual and it could look like you were describing uh, along the lines of having more um, advanced chronic health conditions, you know, that have started at a younger age that people are trying to manage while living on the street or in a shelter. Um, it could look like uh, being victimized uh, as an older adult um, or being taken advantage of. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of stories about check day and when people get their checks on check day, um, being, you know, having a bunch of new best friends um, that day. You, uh, for older adults, um, you know, as our sort of ability to manage independent living, whether it's because of our health, maybe we've lost some um, really uh, close partner or intimate person who had, you know, previously served as an important social support. Uh, so with age, the accumulation of losses happens. And so that's one of the things that makes older adults particularly vulnerable and then not having really purpose-built locations where older adults can be can can stay or live or even as they're transitioning from let's say the street to a shelter into some more permanent supportive housing location location there aren't a lot of places along that um, continuum that were purpose-built to support um, you know persons with disabilities you know physical disabilities um, and, and some of the more complex health needs that people have um, have in later life. And then there's also the income issue is that, you know, we, we live in a world where um, we haven't seen um, incomes increase at the same rate that we've seen housing and cost of living increase. And so people don't have as much opportunity to, to save what what some people term a nest egg so that they can uh, rely on that in later life. So as costs of housing are going up, people's um, savings and income is, you know, stagnant or, or decreasing over time. And so, um, you know, people are trying to, to do more with less. And um, you, you think of this like cumulative disadvantage by, by the time you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, um, you, you, you might not have had the same opportunity to accumulate the wealth that will help you stay housed. And, and I, we don't have to go there, but there's also different pathways into homelessness. You have individuals who have been chronically homeless and who have aged into um, homelessness. They've, they've been homeless over a longer period of time. And then you have a, another kind of, it's a very overgeneralized group, but it's, it's people who are newly homeless in later life. Um, and we're seeing even, you know, following the onset of, of the pandemic, this has been a huge issue for, for people. Um, and so some of those unique um, variables that older adults have, it will depend, you know, impact people at different points in their life too. So a lot of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you, I think what you were saying there too around, and it goes for all, 
all sorts of different special populations, you're not going to have the, the same solutions for youth as you would for seniors, as you mm-hmm. might for women fleeing violence, et cetera, et cetera. You, there's mm-hmm. different solutions there. Now, you mentioned kind of the, the, the right place. We talked about place. I've heard of the term, and we hear this a lot now, you know, we, we, we have to, we want seniors to age in place, but in reading some of your work, it's aging in the right place. It's not just any place, and I love that. Can you talk about, like for, for so many, this isn't really reality, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's a ter- term I borrowed from, um, it was originally termed by a, a researcher down in Florida, na- Florida named Stephen Gallant. And the idea really is that uh, there's a, you know, lots of surveys have been done asking people, what do you want to do in later life? Where do you want to be? Do you want to stay where you are? Do you want to move somewhere else? What do you want to do? Um, and so for, for individuals who have um, access to both financial and social resources, they often have choice. They often get to say, yes, I want to stay in the home. Um, and, and so this, you know, my house, I want to stay here forever. I want to age in this place um, that I have defined as, you know, these are people who would know what the definition of home is very different than myself. They, they, this is their home and they want to stay here. Um, and then there's been this shift in, in really recognizing that that's a very privileged standpoint, that there are certain people who can age in place as they define. But there's, there's this idea we really need to be thinking about in terms of aging in the right place and matching people's um, needs, uh, their conditions, their vulnerabilities, um, their strengths to the place in which they are, are living. And so, so really the idea behind aging is the right place is really mapping people's um, communities and their, their housing, their neighborhood, um, all of the pieces in your community, your transit, access to social services, access to support systems, um, to make up an individual's place um, so that it is the right place for them at that particular point in their life. Um, and so really just matching people's place to to what's right for them at that time, uh, at that point in their life. Yeah. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. That's interesting. Uh, And we quite often in in, uh, the work that I've been a part of, we learn from our our failures. what was it? And someone said today with fail stands for first attempt, uh, something like that, in <laughs> uh, learning or something. But uh, there you go. What, what we learned too is that when we put people in at home, even with supports, community plays a big part too, right? The community around mm-hmm. them. So mm-hmm. if you take someone, and quite often with uh, social housing, it's when, and I've been told this with uh, waiting lists. They'll say mm-hmm. it's not that it's just you know hundred thousand people waiting for supportive housing. They want it in their community. So if we say to them, we've got a place, but it is, I don't know anyone there. I don't know the, I don't have a doctor that I don't know all that kind of stuff. It, it really, really matters. So aging in the right place, uh, absolutely matters. So let's talk a little bit about your research. 
Um, and in your research, you talked about the indicators needed for older adults experiencing homelessness to age in the right place. What can you tell us about those indicators? So we, I, I, I'm part of a, a, a CMH, a Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation um, co-funded partnership grant that I'm fortunate to have a number of community partners in Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal. And so one thing we, we did over the past, maybe two years ago, is we started having conversations about what are the items, what are the things that make up aging in the right place for specifically a population of older people experiencing homelessness and, and talked through what some of these indicators are or factors are that really need to be part of the aging in the right place, kind of what we think of as a framework. So um, recognizing that what aging in the right place might mean for somebody who's been stably housed with access to a lot of financial and social resources over their lifetime might look very different um, than, than someone who's had um, um, been living paycheck to paycheck um, or, you know, had a significant loss later in life and now is faced uh, with being at risk for homelessness. And so what we heard through conversations with our community partners and the lived uh, experts on our on our partnership team is that, um, you know, there's the, the, the built parts of it that I sort of spoke to earlier, the housing, the transportation, the, um, you know, down to the sidewalks, can people navigate the neighborhoods around them, really that built environment, both of the, the unit that they're in, the housing unit itself, as well as the neighborhood, can they access their pharmacy and their grocery store and their library and all the places that that have meaning to them and then are there resource if they need resources to come into their home are those elements able to come into their home um, or are they accessible within within a close proximity um, outside um, the home you know sort of off-site resources there's also pieces um related to what we call place attachment. So do I, you were speaking to this, uh, do I have a choice in staying here? Do, do I get, do, do I have the autonomy to do with this space what I want to be doing to it? Um, do I have control over when I come and when I go? Um, you know, in certain places, people um, are required to abide by certain um, time constraints that they're allowed to go into a, into, for instance, a shelter or you have to leave at a certain time. So do people have a control over what their space looks like and how they how they live in their space. Um, are they satisfied with it? Are they do they feel safe? Is it private? Um, so all those emotional um, pieces. Um, and so one of the other things that I think is really important too when we're speaking about um, experiences of homelessness and indicators of right place is really um, is that place somewhere that is gonna be stable and affordable over a longer period of time? We hear a lot about evictions or rent evictions in particular. Um, and as our, as our built environment ages, um, it becomes more likely to be a target to be renovated or what we call renovicted as people are evicted out of a place as a developer si decides to renovate it. Um, and so, so um, it is this, is the place in which they are stable and affordable over a longer period of time. And then um, at our kind of the, what we think of as the sort of more macro level or sort of outside all of these other indicators is really the political and the economic context in which people are living. So um, do we live in neighborhoods that um, have a strong, not of my backyardism um, Force, or do we have um, really supportive and innovative mayors who are willing to um, ensure that we have 
um, the right elements within our communities. And they're going to be willing to invest in those resources to build healthy communities. And so there's these a lot of elements that are all the way down to like the individual level, all the way up to um, kind of that political um, and, and broader social context. And so all of those elements are at factor here and is why I think it becomes so complicated um, to perhaps support um, to support people sometimes. So so I, those are the indicators that we heard about from folks and that we're looking at in our in our research. Yeah. Uh, and you you talked about the services. Let's talk about the housing models and services. Um, of course, we talk about it's not one size fits all. It's different for different people, even different for different seniors. But can you talk about some of the models that can support this unique population that you've seen or or kind of thoughts around how it should be designed or set up? Yeah, and, and it won't be too surprising. I think it's fairly similar to both um, older adult populations as well as um, populations of, of people experiencing homelessness. Um, so we think about long-term care places where um, they're, they're welcoming, uh, perhaps, of um, ongoing alcohol use. So do, do they have harm reduction or managed alcohol programs on site within the long-term care setting um, would be, you know, one example of, of a way to be thinking about um, that long-term care. These are, this is, these are places where people need a bit more complex level of care, uh, medical care. Um, you know, we, we permanent supportive housing sites are very popular um, as a model broadly within the homeless sector. And so really having affordable um, supportive housing sites where there are resources available to people um, within their housing unit or within their housing community um, that are trauma informed, that match people to the services that they need, that allow them to stay in the unit that, that they're interested in staying in for their um, for their defined period of time. Um, there's also the we, supported is slightly different than supportive. Supported is where there's offsite resources that are able to be brought on site, um, just slightly level, slightly lower level of, of on-site services provided. Um, we have, um, there's also models of transitional housing. So as people are moving perhaps from a variety of other settings, uh, they might need a transitional space where they can um, get get um, sort of the what? Yeah, I'll just say they're like their feet under their. How do you say that? What's that saying? Their legs under. No, yeah, their you get feet. your feet under them. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, get their feet <laughs> under them while they're. You know, maybe they need. Um, a, a short period of respite following a hospital stay, or perhaps they need um, assistance in getting particular IDs. Um, you know, people's identification gets lost um, if they don't have a stable place in which to um, store and file things away. Um, maybe they need to save up a little bit for um, either a, a, a rent um, for rent or a, a deposit of some sort. So transitional housing is a really important part of the um, transition of people from, um, you know, shelter or, or um, other temporary places. And, and there's also, I mean, even shelters and temporary places that do have on-site medical resources. These medical respite programs um, are, have really are a really nice model for helping people who do have these a bit more like acute. Um, acute needs um, before they transition to another location. 
Are, are there examples of people that are that are doing this that you've seen that like this is brilliant, this city, this place? Um, who's doing this well? Anyone? There are a great number, and so I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to name anyone in particular. <laughs> but we're current. That's exactly what our research is looking at right now. Is we're evaluating these promising practices that we identified um, across. We, our three cities that we're looking at are, are Vancouver, um, Calgary, and, and Montreal. And so there, are, there's a good number, um, but I, I, I don't want to mention some to the exclusion of others. So of I course, might refer yeah. people to our to our website um, at the end of the podcast or now. But um, it, we have a whole a whole good list. And as our research continues to come out, we will be doing um, we will be able to name them a bit a bit more exclusively. So, so I can to- totally understand that for sure. So this gives people um, even more of a reason to check out the research <laughs> going forward, right? Um, it's interesting what's happening in Ontario right now. So in, on, in Ontario, in an effort to uh, free up hospital beds, what the Ontario government has done is they're not giving people a choice. So people are being pushed into mm. long-term care homes. I think it's up to 150 kilometers away if it's up north or 70 kilometers within oh. the city. And they're not, uh, they're, they don't have a choice. So you talk about all those things about community choice, what makes sense for me, what makes sense. So families are, are losing their minds. And, and if you refuse, it's a $400 a day charge to stay in the hospital bed, right? And, and so the concept of, yes, we need to free up beds, but uh, the whole long-term care piece, pushing people into places that their families and themselves are not comfortable um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just, it, it goes against everything we've been talking about today. That makes sense, uh, for, uh, for seniors, right. With, uh, and I, I also read today, I did not know that the average length of stay in, in long-term care in Ontario, at least is only 18 months. Mm, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. That's not as long as you would think. No, no. I, and I think, and, and, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a huge wait list for long-term care and as mm-hmm. and housing in general is, is really, really tough. Um, but pushing people into places that, and, and I think some of the worry too, is some of these places during the pandemic did not um, weather it as well as, as others. And so, you Absolutely. know, of course they want what's best for, uh, uh, for their, their loved ones too. So, so you mentioned you're working on this, you're working on anything else. What else are you working on that we could get excited about? Um, well, I'm also part of a research, another research group that'll be at CAEH, um, and this really stems from some of the we have on on the pro- project I was just describing to you. We have a, a team of lived experts who we meet with um, and talk through things with, and and so one of the projects we're collaborating on um, as part of that team um, is really thinking about community conversations to disrupt discrimination uh, and really digging into the experiences of discrimination specifically for people experiencing homelessness as a distinct experience from the discrimination a person might experience because they um, have a mental um, yeah. mental health condition or um, are using substances or because of the color of their skin or because of their age. So there's all these different ways in which people experience discrimination. and. And our core argument is that people who are homeless also experience discrimination for the fact that they're homeless. Um, And then it intersects with all these other multiple types of discrimination um, to to sort of multiply disadvantage them. Um, 
And so we're, we're diving into that work and trying to think about how we can shift the narrative around people who um, have or have had or are currently experiencing homelessness. And so I'm really excited about that project and, and working with those partners. And we do have um, an, another group will be presenting on that at CAEH as well. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah, check that out. There's, there's a couple things happening. If you haven't signed up for the conference yet, there's still time. You will hear this before the conference. Um, listen, I got to tell you, listeners, uh, you know, if you're watching this video, if you look behind Sarah's, uh, I think what is her right shoulder, I love the sign there. It says one job is not enough uh, or should be, or sorry, one job should be enough. Uh, yes. I support hotel workers. I can't believe with my eyes I can read that, but I love that because on the podcast as well, we've talked about, uh, you know, so many people experiencing homelessness. It's a result of income, right? Or lack of income yeah. and, and the lack of making a living wage. So not surprising, but I love it. This was this was another conference we went to, um, and these were hotel workers in Boston who um, were on strike at the time that our conference was there. So many of us joined the strike efforts to support the hotel workers, um, indicating that we also believe that one job should be enough and that they should be paid a living wage. So, um, yeah, it's a really meaningful experience. Absolutely, and I think something that many people, when you talk about, you were talking about discrimination too, is that the judgment and stigma that there, there's so many of what might be labeled the working poor right, that are working that are still in shelters because mm -hmm. it is not enough and it, and it absolutely should be. And it's interesting for you know, talking about discrimination, I mean, the multiple forms of it, I've never really thought of, of that on its own as someone experiencing homelessness because already when you take, take a look at people who experience homelessness, the discrimination around race or addictions or mental health, like all the different factors, right? But just, and, and I remember uh, my work with youth, more around the stigma where many youth will not disclose their experience in homelessness because they don't want to feel that discrimination from others at school. And where people will say, well, you know, there's no way that that kid's homeless. He's got Nike shoes and an iPhone, whatever. I'm like, mm -hmm. and nothing else, right? Because the, they'll do anything to fit in to not have someone and even their mental, the mental cycle of, are you homeless? Or, no, I'm not because their, their thought or what they think homelessness is, is the guy in the street corner, um, ask yeah. for change. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not that person, right? Do you have a place to stay tonight? Well, no, you don't have a safe place to stay. Well, you're experiencing, it. but, but it's, it's in fact, where some places have actually changed the language to make it more welcoming. So kids are mm -hmm. safe. Right. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. I, I do think it's a it, it's it's its own unique type of discrimination that we have not really delved into. And um, coming trained as a gerontologist, where first someone had to name or like make the word ageism before people really started trying to do you know not before but either like it was a thing. And now there's whole sectors of people doing work that are anti-ageist work. Um, and I think we need to move in that direction towards um, our approach to, to um, people who are unhoused or, um, you know, at risk for homelessness too, is, is change the narrative around that, so. Absolutely, now I wanna ask you a question, gerontology, you go into school, should I ask you this at the very beginning, why gerontology, mm -hmm. was it of special interest to you? Did you, is it, um, did you Yeah, I just, I, I yeah, I mean, honestly, when I was in um, undergrad, uh, there were so many people going to early childhood education, and I took a class on death and dying, and I was fascinated, um, and that was really the hook, and then I took more and more classes, and, and then it, it's like, 
talking with people, and this is very similar to my entry into working in the, the sec homeless sector, is you start talking with people about their experiences. And, you know, I was talking with older adults many, you know, decades ago, actually, um, about their experiences. And I was just, I was just taken. And I just thought, why are people not talking about this more? Why are people not um, engaging with older adults? And I, I feel very similar now. Um, there's a lot of parallels, I think, in the work I do now with, um, uh, thinking about homelessness and housing insecurity and and uh, wanting to work in a sector where our society is is kind of trying to turn its turn its blind eye, if you will. So absolutely. Well, we're glad you made that choice. If this has been fantastic, you're working on a lot of uh, very important things. If people want to find out more, find out what's happening in different places uh, with your research, where do they go? What's the, what's the website? The, um, the project website I will refer you to is um, at Simon Fraser University. So it's, um, well, I'll take your, your kids' advice. I won't do the www, but <laughs> it's sfu.ca. So sfu.ca and then backslash AIRP, which is the acronym for Aging in the Right Place. Um, and so you can find a lot of stuff on, on our website there and, and contact me. For any follow-up awesome well thank you for the work that you do do for your passion and doing it and thanks so much for making time out of just reading your bio and listen we, we cut sarah's bio uh, I, like that's just a piece of it right so for her to take the time out today thank you so much we know you're so busy appreciate it yeah no thank you all for for this podcast in general it's just a really a really great space for to hear about all the great work so thank you all for your for your efforts and and your um, hard work and getting this out on the airwaves. Fantastic. We'll see you at the conference. Sounds great. See you there. Well, uh, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different things um, on this podcast with this. Actually, I'm surprised after uh, a couple of years of doing this that we haven't really addressed um, older adults who experience homelessness. So it's fascinating. I can't wait to learn more um, and to, to kind of dive into this research. And I encourage you to as well, uh, if you haven't already, if you're signing up for the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness Conference, uh, Sarah, we've talked about two uh, groups that she's part of, check it out, learn more, uh, and just keep your eyes peeled, right? The Canadian Alliance and others will uh, drop this research at CMHC as well. When they fund research, they like to, once it's done, they share that. So many, many ways to learn. And learning is what this podcast is all about. Another amazing guest, and you are amazing too, listener. Thanks for tuning in. Share this widely. We know awareness is key in ending homelessness, uh, and that's what this podcast does. So we'll see you next time on The Way Home.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 